You're listening to Current Thought, Con Edison's podcast, providing a first look at the cutting edge ideas, innovations, and technology that enable us to be an energy industry leader. Current Thought is the companion podcast to Con Edison's Plugged In. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Corbliss. We're taking a look at the newest ideas on carbon-free energy. And on this episode of Current Thought, we're exploring fusion, especially since New York's largest carbon-free producer of electricity, Indian Point, is no longer part of our energy mix. So we've invited Con Edison's John Catunio, Director of Commodity Forecasting, to elaborate on fusion and its potential for playing a role in our clean energy future. Welcome, John. Hey, thanks for having me, Emery. Happy to be here. Let's start with the basics, John. Fusion and fission sound very similar. Can you tell us the difference between them? Okay, sure. Fission occurs when the nucleus of an atom splits into two or more nuclei. This is used in a nuclear reaction, whereby neutrons are shot into other atoms, resulting in sustained collisions of subatomic particles that result in a chain reaction and give off large amounts of energy. Enriched uranium and plutonium are most commonly used for fission reactions and in nuclear power reactors. The energy released by fission in these power reactors is used to convert water into steam. The steam is used to drive a turbine, which drives a generator to produce carbon-free electricity at the source. And what I mean by this is we're not considering the carbon used to build the plant, to enrich the uranium, or to handle the, the radioactive waste. Fusion Two light elements, such as hydrogen, are brought together at extremely high temperatures and pressure, causing the nuclei to combine to form a single element, such as helium, and a stray neutron. However, the total mass of the products is less than that of the reactants, resulting in a deficit. So where does this mass go? Well, it's converted into energy. And this is the same process that powers the sun and creates huge amounts of energy, several times greater than that of fission. It also doesn't produce long-lived, highly radioactive fission products. It primarily produces helium. Fusion reactions are difficult to sustain for long periods of time because of the tremendous amounts of pressure and temperature needed to sustain the reaction. Fission energy is a million times greater than other energy sources And fusion energy is about four times greater than fission energy. So, John, what kind of fusion projects are we working on and and how big are they? Can you tell us about them? Yeah, sure. Uh, And when I say we, I mean the scientific community the world over and not necessarily Con Edison. Uh, Fusion produces energy, right, similar to the way the sun does, but we all can't live on the sun or even near it. So there are a few projects underway to try to get a smidgen, a small amount of that sustained reaction, this microscopic sun uh, and strategically located at places uh, where we can have fusion reactions and create electricity from it, among other things. And uh, one of the projects, the world's largest fusion power project is in the south of France. It's called ITER. And that stands for the International Thermonuclear Experimental Reactor. It's about 80% complete right now. It's going to look to produce about 500 megawatts. And it has a goal of uh, having a fusion energy factor. We call that Q. 
a, a goal of a fusion energy factor Q of 10, which means for every one megawatt of energy put into this reactor, we'd get out 10 megawatts produced. The estimated time uh, of, con of uh, completion is 2025. We also have researchers over at Massachusetts Institute of Technology collaborating with uh, Commonwealth Fusion Systems. And they're working on a compact fusion reactor called Spark. And Spark is expected to produce somewhere between 50 and 100 megawatts with the Q factor of two. Uh, and their estimated time uh, of completion is somewhere around 10 to 15 years out. I want to make it really clear, Mary, these Q factors of 10 and 2 are ambitious. As right now to date, we've only achieved Q values less than one, which is no good. Think about it. You're going to put in one megawatt of electricity into a big magnet that has plasma and deuterium and tritium to create fusion, right? That's the technology behind the configurations of a fusion reactor. And you're going to put in one megawatt, but you're only going to get out 0.7 megawatts. Why bother? It's a loss. So, you know, scientists are striving for a cue that approaches infinity, which they call ignition, or it's a self-sustaining fusion reaction, which is exactly what our sun does. That is, a, that is years out, but getting to even a Q greater than one is, is a tremendous break. Is fusion more efficient than fission? And what are the byproducts? Um, is it safer and, and why? Sure. Well, you got to remember that fission takes some electricity, but mostly relies on the implicit energy, the, uh, the radioactive energy, the ionizing radioactive energy energy in the plutonium enriched uranium to create electricity. So it's energy conversion. While fusion does that with deuterium and tritium, which are which are uh you know from hydrogen, they're isotopes of hydrogen, where tritium is the unstable one, but it uses massive amounts of electricity. So to produce electricity. So it's you know you can't really compare efficiencies. Um, I'll say that Fusion is more energy than fission. It uses less radioactive material in its process than fission. It has less radioactive waste and byproducts, is inherently safe under accident scenarios relative to fission. And again, this is due to the nature of the materials used in the process. So what are we waiting for, John? What's the timeline? We're not waiting. I mean, the quest for a sustained fusion process that produces more energy than it consumes is well underway, as I noted. In fact, this has been studied and experimented in labs for the last 70 years. And that, you know, that's, that's a lot of work being done. For me to come up with a, a, an estimated time of when I think fusion will be commercial and mainstream, I developed an analogy to fission and the evolution of fission reactors. And let me let me walk you through this evolution and kind of give you my math. You know, in the 1890s, Marie and Pierre Curie, they coined the term radioactivity when they isolated polonium and radium. In 1942, almost 50 years later, Enrico Fermi initiated the first fission chain reaction using graphite and uranium at the Chicago Pile Reactor, which is located or was located on the Stegg Field at the University of Chicago. In 1945, we had the Manhattan District Project, 
where some of the most brilliant minds the world over got together at Los Alamos and Oak Ridge to develop the atomic bombs. The fat man and little boy, Robert Oppenheimer, Leo Szilard, Hans Bethe, Ernest Lawrence, Carl Fuchs, Glenn Seaborg, Edward Teller, and once again, Enrico Fermi, they all teamed up and they accomplished that. And that, while it was used uh, in a destructive way, brought about atoms for peace to use atomic science and nuclear reactions for this for societal benefit. And, and as such, in 1950, the first large scale nuclear reactor was developed in Idaho. It was a military test reactor. And then in 1957, the first commercial nuclear reactor was built and operated in Shippingsport, Pennsylvania. 1959, first nuclear submarine through the management of Hyman Rickover and his leadership. And in the late 1960s, we were off to the races with large-scale development of nuclear reactors. And in the 1980s, modern reactors were mainstream. So when I look at that, that's 100 years, right? 1990 minus 1890, 100 years. But we know we can shave off 10 years on the front end and 10 years on the back end to give us about 80 years for a true progress period. And, you know, we got to scale this now for modern times, right? Because they didn't have the innovation. They didn't have the quantitative computing and other resources that we do have today. And I think that we can easily shave that 80 down to 60 years as a reasonable period. And I think right now we're, we're halfway through the 60 years. So say we're about 30 years out. I, I, my, my prediction is about 2050, Anne-Marie, for large-scale mainstream commercial fusion reactors being used on the electric grid. And again, I'm a forecaster. All forecasts are wrong, but I think we should have another podcast in 2050 and regroup and see what happened. And we can talk about it. That sounds like an idea, John. I'll get it on your calendar. So, John, the core of Con Edison's business is delivering energy, not producing it. What are we looking for? Is there a challenge to delivering this type of energy? How would the grid need to be adapted or modified to accommodate fusion? Okay, great. Great question. All energy sources, right, they have their drawbacks. And in other words, low-cost energy that is safe, reliable, and has no waste stream and no environmental impacts does not exist, right? Energy is going to come out of cost. Clean, renewable energy today is intermittent, and we need to ma maintain reliability of our energy systems for our customers. As such, reliability, safety, affordability, sustainability in the environment are all parts of the equation. Fusion technology has the potential to change the trajectory in an effort to reduce emissions and put climate change into check. We need to get the best and brightest uh, from all the scientific disciplines to work on this technology. Conison's an industry leader, right? Our current work on batteries, energy storage, electric vehicles, grid modernization, solar and wind resiliency is something that we can be proud of. The grid would readily accept electricity or the megawatts produced from a fusion reactor, just like it would from a gas turbine, a fission reactor, or a wind farm. No modifications are required for the grid. In fact, the only, the only thing that's required is the electric interconnect, which will take the electricity from the generator associated with the fusion reactor to our substation. Let's say in the future that this technology comes to fruition, 
it's highly efficient, and it's so much safer than fission technology. Do you see it being available or being located in Con Edison territory somewhere? Yeah, I do. Uh, remember, these plants are going to be large and require large uh, area and footprint and real estate. And remember, there is radioactive material on them. There are high energy systems located on them. And there's going to be obviously security concerns, but just like that of a substation or regular power plant. Um, it's not like we're going to uh, put one uh, on Main Street in Queens. Um, but, you know, I could see it in certain remote areas of the city uh, that are less densely populated or there's there's large swaths of, of space available. I see I see those as potential sites for developing such technology when they when becoming uh, prominent. Put your prediction hat on and tell us what you think is the most exciting or promising new technology on the horizon and how it will change energy in the future. Which has the highest potential for our clean energy future? All right. Offshore wind, high voltage direct current fed from hydropower in the north, large scale solar farms and strategically located battery storage facilities. What are your thoughts on hydrogen as a fuel? Well, large amounts of energy are required to produce hydrogen. Uh, green hydrogen is possible if reformed or electrolyzed from excess renewable energy. Combining hydrogen and natural gas is something we're examining, and this would have a lower carbon impact, but we also have to study the total energy content of the combined gas product. Solar power and wind. Both have no fuel, require large spaces, are intermittent supplies. But as time progresses and, and more projects get developed, they will get more efficient. They will get more cost effective. And I, I think we're going to see a lot of that in our future. Battery storage. Battery storage is great if you could charge it off peak with a renewable source. Strategically located batteries and fast growing electric networks can help reduce peak demand and retain reliability for our customers. So John, we've had a great conversation today and covered a lot of topics. Can you wrap this up for us in a nutshell? Absolutely. There are many challenges in today's energy business. And like I said, low cost energy that is safe, reliable, has no waste stream or adverse environmental impacts does not exist. However, Condison has always risen to the technical and societal challenges over our company's history. We have the best people, the brightest minds working for us. And our vision for our clean energy future is one of precision, focus, and dedication. And this gives me confidence for our contributions to innovation and a bright future. Thanks for hosting, Anne-Marie. That was great. Thank you. A big thank you to Current Thoughts guest, John Catunio, for sharing his insights on this new green technology. And thank you to our audience for joining. We'll see you in the future. If you have a technology idea, a comment, or a question, send us an email to podcast at coned.com. We'd love to hear from you. Remember to follow us on all our social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Our handle is at Con Edison. Make sure to use our hashtag, hashtag current thoughts.